Hey everyone, it's Elle Divine. Welcome back to my Growing Pains podcast where I, for some reason, invite guests to the studio to pretty much dig up all the discomfort of adolescence for your listening pleasure. But given the current circumstances, I've been recording the podcast with guests remotely. So me and my guests today are currently recording this from our homes today in isolation, which I'm sure most of you are listening from as well. So I'm sending you all lots of love and positivity and I hope this podcast can take your mind off things for a bit. But anyway, I'm so excited to be joined by the wonderful Joy Crooks. Hello. Um, Joy is an unbelievable singer-songwriter from South London. She was just nominated for a Brit Award. She featured on the BBC Sound Poll, amongst so many other various breakthrough lists. And I'm so glad to have Joy here because I thought she would be perfect to come on here because her identity is so rooted in her lyrics and her music. And I think this podcast is all about that, you know, talking about moments that have really shaped us and made us who we are. So, yeah, thank you so much, Joy, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I hope you don't find me boring because I know you have a problem with <laughs> definitely not. boring people. Um, <laughs> and I'm definitely not naked alone, so it's all good. <laughs> hey, it's not the jokes. Oh, my God, you're already definitely not boring. I'll tell you a little bit about what it's about. As you know, I'm a singer-songwriter and I would say my main inspiration when it comes to songwriting are my experiences navigating through adolescence. So I thought it would be a cool idea to invite friends, family or just generally cool people to the recording studio or in this case to Zoom um, and chat about their own coming-of-age stories. So to break the ice, I ask guests to bring a photo of themselves from their teenage years. So let's see what you've got for us. All right, I'm going to try and show you on Zoom, but it's going to be kind of terrible. So that's me there <laughs> um, in a punky <laughs> fish. That's a punky fish tracksuit. Punky fish? Yeah. Mate, I used to have like so much punky fish yeah, gear. I like had, I had a punky fish bit. So cool. Yeah, I had a, a few. I bet you anything that kind of sports bag I'm holding is full of alcohol. That's my best <laughs> mate, Pearl. Oh. We call her Pudding. And she's holding a crate of, what is that beer called? 1664 quite a standard <laughs> lager there's a girl that i don't really talk to anymore but anyway she's helping me carry a mattress down portobello road to have what a what are you doing with a mattress well basically it was my 16th birthday and i decided to have a mass sleepover oh cute we were gonna do it at my friend's flat because her parents weren't in and we had mattresses all over the floor and anyone could fall asleep anywhere i don't actually think anyone slept but it was a thought that counted, you know, maybe some people liked sleeping, we clearly didn't. And um, it was a very, very memorable night. And I tried That's so cute. I tried a few um, recipes for the first time that night. Oh, right, okay. Yes. Should, I, should we not? We won't go there. <laughs> we that there? No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> so. Sounds like a teenage dream, but a parent's nightmare, that whole sleepover. Um, Basically. Who was the person in that photo, would you say, if you could describe that 16-year-old Joy? I was just so... I was so happy. I, like, And you can see it in the photo. I was just so happy. My best friend, Pearl, at the time, we would go to school together every morning and we would hang out every evening and we would buy food after school and like be really, really greedy. But she was someone that would never be able to take the smile off my face. Like, every time I was around her, like, because when I laugh, I walk about five metres in any direction and come back because something's so funny, and I clap like a seal. <laughs> and um, she just had a way to make me laugh at everything. Like, everything was funny to us. It was like, in year 10 and year 11, there wasn't a day that I didn't laugh because of my best friend, Pearl. And it wasn't just ha-ha laughing, it was like... <sighs> It was, like, the most inappropriate, like, stupid laughter. And it was... And I don't know, I think a lot of people have the whole perception that you're 
teen years are like the best years and your secondary school years are the best years and to be honest with you at that time I was going through a lot at home so to be able to have someone that was so close to you that just made me laugh because for me humour is like the most important thing in the whole world and she just managed to make a lot of the darkness bright so when I think of those years even though I know that really bad stuff happened at home really really good stuff happened elsewhere and my social life was amazing because I had like one really really real true friend I've never really been into having like a big group of friends because I don't like the politics I don't like the fact that um people can go around saying that they're really really good group of friends and then you hear one person talk shit about the other person (laughs) and um yeah and and that was what was going on, obviously, because secondary school was just full of assholes, And I was quite happy in year 10 to resign to all of that and not really care so much about... care so much about pleasing people. And that was a really, really, like, pivotal moment for me because I was going through so much at home. I had perspective, and my perspective was kind of like... I came to school and I was like, I no longer give a fuck. And, um, right, for sure. And Pearl was with me on that. We just loved each other so much and we got on so much and... It was easy, basically. It was it was easy in a really strange and hard time. So I, those are like my some of my favorite years, ironically, and some of my hardest years at the same time. That's so interesting. It's so interesting that you say that. I feel like my high school experience was like the complete opposite. I never felt like I had one best friend. Like, and I feel like that comes into play now. Like, if I ever get really close with someone, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't believe it because yeah. like I, I'm ne- I was never used to having like one person. It was always like a big group, and I went to an all girls school as well. So yeah, it was no, I like, would never be able to survive. Central, like yeah, no. <laughs> there was like seventeen of us in a group. We still have like a group chat, and like every couple of years, someone gets kicked out of it and like brought back into it. And it's like that's the thing. I got I kicked just, out of my group chat, man. It was so bad. No, I just that's like I can't stand that. The way I see it is, if in three or five years' time you look back on it and you think, why the hell was I like involved with those people? I wouldn't ever want to be in that position. And I think that the, some of the people I was hanging around, I really loved because she wasn't my only friend. I had a few. I maybe had like five really, really close friends and no one was in a, you know, people, it was all scattered, you know. It was one guy that was a massive nerd. His dad was like the youngest man in all of the UK to get a PhD. Like he was a brainiac. Um, Always had great conversation with him. I think I was much happier when I learned that I didn't want to be involved in drama or in unnecessary drama. And I think I actually learned in year 10 when shit hit the fan at home that I wasn't going to give an absolute shite about what other people thought of me because I had like I said I had that perspective and I don't know I just feel like teenagers just want to cause drama they want to cause trouble they want to have something on someone and if you actually present yourself as genuinely not caring and people can say whatever they want about you and you you actually find it funny my and I remember lots of people in my year thinking I'd gone mad And when you've gone mad in other people's eyes, they can't say anything that will actually make you feel a type of way. They won't get a reaction out of you because your reaction is constant, if that makes sense. And so um, when that day happened, I remember I was in year 10 and I went up to the worst guy in my year. He was just like the biggest shit star, like his middle name was shit star. And I went up to him in front of the whole year and I was like, because he just loved getting into people's business. He loved chatting one thing to someone about you and then the other thing to another person and just classic shit stirring. And I went up to him and I just said, if you ever fuck with me again. And I said it in front of the whole year and the whole year was like, what's wrong with this girl? 
And after that, they just, I was classified as a crazy one and that's just who I was and no one could really do anything or say anything that would... You were just, yes, ahead of them though, weren't you? Yeah, well, I, I think I actually was ahead of, I was ahead of the game. But oh, 100%. I, but it's because it was a product of being in so much pain at home that I just didn't want to have it at school. I just couldn't be bothered. I was there to get really, really good grades. Like, I was very focused. I went to a private school for five years and both my parents are immigrants. I, like, my parents came from nothing. And for me, it was really important to honour them in that because my dad had saved since he found out my mum was pregnant. So he didn't just whip up the money out of his pocket like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was something that my dad, an Irish man that only ever went to like convent Catholic schools, wanted to send me to a good school because he'd never been to a good school. So I think for me, it was really important that I accomplished that for myself and did really, really well. And in that, I didn't want to have any distractions with bullshit or people that work and unfortunately in private schools you do get um people from a certain background that see you in a very very bad light and see you as lesser than them because you don't come from the same background as them or you come from a different country or you look different you know so I was dealing with all of that as well and some of the students were very sinister and they definitely had preconceived ideas about people from the area I came from people from the country I came from you know everything so yeah I just was like fuck you all I'm doing my thing I got pearl and I'm cool and that's what I did and I did really well my GCSEs there we go amazing that's like everyone wants to have that attitude now everyone kind of like strives to have that give no shit attitude I mean like I still try to do that now and I definitely still give a shit about what people think of me but to be 16 and have that mindset is crazy but it's because at the time I mean I don't think I'm anywhere near the same pain as I was back then but I had so much going on that it gave me a very very it was like a blessing disguised in a curse it gave me Mm. so much perspective Mm -hmm. to not give a fuck you know there's a lot of kids that have a sick parent at home or have a really 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 dark situation at home and you realize that they end up having the mentality of I don't give a shit when they're at school because they've seen so much worse and they have that perspective absolutely so entertaining drama and distraction is probably just not um, necessary for kids like that you know yeah Where was home for you? So at the time, at that time when I was in in that photo, I was living at my mum's and my mum had moved to, Mm -hmm. so I'm originally from South London. My mum, when Mm -hmm. I was 14, um, decided to move to West London to Labrick Grove, which is a really nice area. It was very different for me because South London was like, I guess it was always stereotyped as a poor area or a ghetto area or a, um, you know, an area with a lot of ethnic minorities and um, a lot of, you know, immigrants would move to South London because it was quite an institutionalised area as well. So she wanted to move to West London. That was her choice. And she met someone and she wanted to do that. And I didn't think it would be permanent, but it was. So I moved with her and it only lasted for a year and a half. And I went, I came back to South London to live with my dad. Yeah, I couldn't live in How was that? Because my parents weren't together as well. And I, I always live with my mum. And I, like, I don't know, I can't imagine like jumping from household to house. I did obviously stay at my dad's and stuff. But like, if I look back, God, I couldn't. But I guess it depends like what kind of guy that my dad was having like parties every weekend. So I yeah, yeah, yeah. stayed with him. Um, <laughs> I think for me, it was like, I didn't really have a choice. Things didn't really work out that well with my mum. Right. I'd live with my mum for the whole 16 years of my life. And I did the same as you. I'd go to my mm-hmm. dad's on the weekends and stuff. And at a point, he was mm-hmm. like the partier and had a few girlfriends and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but always, they're both very consistent parents. So I moved in with my dad, which was weird because... 
The only reason why it was weird is because he'd already started a new family with his new wife, and so I have two little brothers. Wow. I'll show you them. I've got a picture of them here. <laughs> oh, look at them. They're so cute. They're twins, so they're Thai, Chinese, Irish. My dad's Irish. My stepmom's Thai, Thai, Thai Chinese. So it was weird because I felt almost like I was intruding, but I didn't actually have a choice because I knew that things weren't going to work out living necessarily in West London. And my mum had started kind of her new life there and stuff. And then my dad kind of started his new life in South London. So I didn't really last that long at my dad's either. So I think I was at my dad's for a year and a half as well. And then by 17, I started living by myself. So I went, I jumped to, yeah, yeah. I jumped to three different homes in like the span of like three years. Yeah. Um, So when when I moved out, um, I think it was quite sad for my family, but it was, I don't know, it was so good. At the same time, it really? was like, yeah, because it was what I needed. I think I needed it for so yeah. long. And I, I think that it was two families that were quite happy and they were doing their thing. And my mum had remarried and my dad had remarried. And not that I felt like I was a liability, but I felt like I was a liability. And so t- to have my own space and navigate my own space and fucking do a Pinterest and decide what my yard was going to look like was really, really important for me. Um, but by the time I'd actually moved into my flat, I'd um, I'd got a publishing deal from BMG. So I was recognised yeah. as a songwriter. I mean, no one fucking knew me for my music, but I was. that was my first kind of proper foot in the door, I think. So it came in the perfect time. That meant I could actually yeah. afford to leave, which, mm-hmm. which obviously was a fucking huge yeah, investment because yeah. I didn't have, like... It's not like I had loads to spend on seeing my mates and da da So basically every, every yeah. motive, every party, everything was here. I guess as well, like, you were probably the only, one of the only ones out of your friends that lived on your own as well. That's like... And you know how expensive yeah, London totally. is? And, like, 17 living alone in London is not something that That's you hear of. And people obviously thought yeah. it was super cool, and they were like, oh, this is so... And I'm thinking, you have no idea why I left home, but okay, fine. And, like, yeah. obviously people at that age didn't understand, like, the responsibility of having your own place. And, like, the whole point, oh, the whole point of a musical advance with a publishing deal was that you pay that money back. It wasn't just, like, a free load of money. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so if someone told me that take it <laughs> like no I remember the first night I spent here I, I was telling my boyfriend about it recently and the first night I spent here I decided to go clubbing I was 17 I moved out into my the area I grew up in so I knew everyone around here I had like my best friend was 10 years older than me he was like my big brother he was like right we're gonna go out let's go clubbing and I was like cool because we used to go clubbing a lot but like the clubbing that we used to do was kind of like I wouldn't be out for too long or I'd be staying at a friend's house so my parents didn't know what time I was going to be back but obviously I didn't need to fucking do that so this first night (laughs) this first night I remember being in the club and being like fuck and I kept looking up at my phone and being like shit 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 at the time, because I was like, someone's going to text me, my mum and dad's going to text me, something's going to happen. And obviously no one texted me. And I, I came home at 8am and I was like... 8am, sick. And I was like... <laughs> no, because obviously the club's around the corner, so you're not kind of... I think when you're anticipating leaving the club and being like, oh, it's going to mm. take me ages to get home, you're like, oh, I'll leave at five. For sure, yeah. But yeah. When, you're, when the club is literally across the road from your house, you're like, oh, fuck it, you know, I'll just that spend... Meant- ages here so I I remember 8am and then I woke up obviously at like 3pm that day and I took a shower and I was like no one said anything yeah (laughs) no one's I can't hear anything in this this life and I don't know if I thought this is the life I just kind of thought this is so fucking weird I felt like that I've lived by myself when I was 19 moved to London and like lived by myself and it was weird like sometimes obviously it's so lonely and stuff like 
but people never told me like I remember when I found out about council tax and I was like shit yeah no they <laughs> like no one told me like so then in a few months time oh, no. I would just get all these debt collecting things and I'd be like what do I do and like I had so many breakdowns about that stuff I was gonna ask you though what do you think is was so special about like growing up and being a teenager in London as opposed to like anywhere else like growing up in Newcastle for me it's like, just fucking different. fun it was fun <laughs> and you just like there's so many things you can do basically my friend showed me how to break in I'm not going to say where the building is because I'll get into trouble it was a block it was a big block but it was like luxury apartments but it wasn't a new build it was like a like clearly had probably been like a council estate that they made look nice and we found a way to get up onto the roof but like this is a roof of like a maybe 30 storey building or something like that but when you got onto the roof it wasn't like a cute roof it was like a fucking a roof of a building you know like a legitimate roof and then on top right. on that roof there was a shed which is where the mains were there was like a ladder or a way you could climb up you were literally on the very top of a building in the middle of West London. So you could see everything. But then I had like a first date coming up with some guy. He's so irrelevant, we don't even need to go there. But I had this first date <laughs> with this bloke and I was like, hey, I've got an idea. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. So I took him up to this building and obviously he was like, this, wow. girl's, this girl's fucking mad. She's going to push me off or some shit. I would love that. I think that's so cute. It was cute. I mean, I, he was a completely just an irrelevant human being. So it was a bit, of, <laughs> it was a bit spenny, you know, not financially, but, you know, kind of like the effort physically spenny. Yeah. For <laughs> someone that you didn't really see any, any kind of future with. But anyway, yeah, there's like something great about adrenaline. And you know that because you're a musician. But I just feel like just getting into trouble and just doing dumb shit. And like, I remember getting my first fake ID and it was so fucking legitimate. I still use it. I actually used it in America for ages. And before I turned 21. No That's so crazy. We used to have to do the whole fucking, like, borrow some girl two years older than you. And no, we had, no, no, Oh, mine were appalling. I used to borrow these between these two girls. This one that I bought off someone that someone found, like, in a club. And we all chipped in and we, like, passed it around to each other. She was called Laura Bland. Looked absolutely nothing like which was just blonde. So all the blonde girls It's quite a to, like, shame being this. called Laura Bland, isn't it? I know, and she like yeah, and, and and being passed amongst all these blonde girls, and then I had this other girl called Jasmine Summers who was like a few years older than me, and it was so funny. Like we went to the we went to the club one time when we were like sixteen, and I was using Laura's that night, but my friend was so used to me saying Jasmine that like we got to the bouncer and he was like, "What's your mate's name?" and she was like, "Deadpan." Jasmine Summers, <laughs> and he was like, "Fuck off," because it was the Laura Bland on. It was so funny. Shit like that used to happen all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, what's like one of your most awkward, embarrassing stories you have from that time? I've pissed myself so many times. <laughs> I've pissed myself in, in harem pants once, which was embarrassing as fuck. You know, like, you know, when, when like a when like a posh uni student from the UK goes to India for like two weeks and thinks they've <laughs> been rediscovered. Comes back you know those trousers, the trousers they come back in. I know I them well. I pissed myself in those. And that was pretty fucking bad. Your pee distributes in a way you never thought pee could distribute. Oh, I bet. I don't really get that embarrassed. Obviously, pissing yourself is quite embarrassing. But I don't really get that embarrassed. I just don't. I don't know why. I think that um, my dad is one of the most embarrassing humans in the whole world. And because we don't look anything alike, he used to pretend that I was his carer and someone that was looking after him. 
when we'd go around to like Tesco's and stuff. So that was a test of embarrassment. But because I'd kind of got over that, I just don't. That's good. Good for you. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but when you piss yourself, it's pretty bad. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I had a boyfriend in secondary school. So all the kind of like, oh, my God, I can't talk to that boy. That's the most embarrassing stuff, right? Yeah. I just didn't have that because I felt quite secure with the person I was with. And um, and he yeah. he didn't go to my school or anything like that. He actually lived in a different country. Lol. I don't know. That's fair. I that, feel like yeah. That, all of that's my all usually are... yeah. There we go. Yeah. All, all related to like me like fancying someone <laughs> and it going and obviously I was like a secret gay. So every person that I fancied, it was never ever reciprocated. So it was like completely mortifying every experience to do with that. Yeah. But no. we move. Look at us now. <laughs> I was going to say, do you find that you're still inspired or like any of the experiences that you had during that time, like have an impact on your creativity now? For sure. I think I've not really written that much about my adolescence so much. I'm quite interested in my um, childhood and growing up for the 14 years I did here and then coming back here when I was 16. I think for me, it's less, when it comes to my childhood and my teens, it's less internal and more external. And so I talk about, like, the chicken shop that we all used to eat at after school. When I was in uh, primary school, it was a state school, it was a Catholic state school, it was mixed. And it was, like, for me, it was really important because, you know, I grew up predominantly with black, Latin, Asian kids. There were only a few white kids because that's the area that I lived in. And I think that those years were more, um, not more formative, but they were very formative years for me. And it's very hard to explain and articulate, but I think who I am now and understanding my identity and my heritage and um, the complexities that come with culture, such as talking about your mental health, your sexuality, or talking about going clubbing or smoking cigarettes, even the smallest things can be really difficult when you're from a certain culture and background. And also being, you know, people are always like, Bangladeshi, Irish, that's so cool. And I think, yeah, it sounds cool, but it comes with so many layers, right? And I think that it was easier to peel those layers back for me, looking back on my formative years, growing up around kids who are from similar backgrounds, immigrant families, than it may have been going to a private school where unfortunately not that many kids came from a similar background to me. So I think in secondary school, I learned about personality and I learned about how humour was important to me and I learned about being honest and true to myself. But in order to be true, I had to go even further back and that's when I went into my childhood. I don't think anyone is as obsessive of their childhood in my world as, as I am. Like, I'm so obsessive of it. I'm really interested in it. I think when you um, suffer from mental health issues, it's something that you inevitably have to do with your therapist or with yourself or in your meditation or whatever you do. When there's family problems and stuff as well, it's generally looking back. And sometimes I'd, like, meet up with my parents' friends just to chat about what my parents were like when they were young because I'm so amazed that my parents have known me that my whole life, but I've only known them for a bit of their lives. And that's always fucked me up too. So I think I'm someone that really likes to go back. And I think that because I wasn't, I'm 21, so I feel like my, my adolescence wasn't even that long ago. But the root is childhood and then the kind of outcome is in your teens. And I think so. 
I go down to the root and I also just look a little bit into the teens. I, that's such a long answer to that question, but no, it's, it's so I mean. interesting though. And it's like something that I've only like recently discovered. Like I was doing like therapy over the summer before I moved back to Newcastle. It was such an eye opener, like her asking questions being like, have you ever thought about this being the reason that you do that? And I'm like, no, nah, like I was sweet when I was like yeah. seven. Yeah, I was yeah. sweet when I was 12. I didn't care. And then you're like, oh shit. And you realize like so much of my behavior and how I interact with other people is like, based on like shame that I've still got like buried from when I was this like is it. a 10 year old this is it and I think that if you're having you know you mentioned sexuality if you're talking about having feelings for girls and like I remember the first girl I ever fancied was in my church and that shit is like that will fuck you up forever because <laughs> you're like yeah. you're being taught one thing and your body and your heart your and your mind is saying thing. another yeah. thing yeah. that for me I used to walk to school and feel shame shame so much shame so much guilt yeah and that's why yeah, actually totally. I don't really talk about I don't really talk too much about sexuality or about kind of stuff that I've been through because I'm still dealing with some of that shame and that kind yeah. of it can start from when you're like seven eight and it's completely you don't understand what the feeling is until you're literally like you said in a room with someone they're like do you think it could be you and you're like yeah 100 like it, it was weird like we were talking about like I didn't realize like how much it affected like just my relationship with like any woman like or talking to any woman like this kind of feeling of like being always slightly intimidated and that's just because I was so like angry at the way that I like fancied them when I was a kid you know what I mean and I just didn't want to like acknowledge it and now I feel that in social situations that's so classic I still have that bad you know and I sometimes have to differentiate whether in my past I've really disliked a girl because she was a bitch or because Mm-hmm. I actually liked her. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You know, it's just that's a fucking classic. I think. Yeah. Definitely. Mind blown. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Is there anything you're like really nostalgic or like romantic about looking back on those years? I think like really beautiful times I had with my parents. My mum was a boss when I was growing up, and I watched her become a boss. My mum's a political asylum seeker from Bangladesh and she was driving an Audi around when I was 12 and I was like, you are so sick. And so yeah. those kinds of memories of my mum when she would just be wearing the most lavish outfit and she's a dark-skinned Bengali woman, she'd walk around and she just had this poise about her and every room she went into, she was like, I belong here, even if no one, no one looked like her. I remember stuff like that and I'm just thinking she is a boss and I hope to have that same fuck you-ness that she has because she will start a fight anywhere, she will walk <laughs> into anywhere, she'll pull up on anyone and I love that about her. And then just stuff of my dad, like, he used to recite poetry with me and stuff like that because he's Irish and, it's, like, words and writing and poetry are really, really important in the culture as well as Bangladesh. And, like, with my dad, it's really visual. We used to go to the pub all the time when I was, like, a kid and he would give me 50p for a pack of quavers and a pound for the pool tables. I'm quite good at pool. And he'd just go off and do his thing and then we'd walk home together and, you know, like, remembering, like, it's so wet but the shadows that would like cast on the street that we lived on and stuff like that and kind of just that kind of um visual bond that we had as well so I think that um I feel nostalgia from um 
street names and clothes and colours and lamps and like weird photographic things. Yeah. What about yeah. you? What, about, what am I most nostalgic about? I mean, similarly, like you kind of just made me think that like memories, especially with my dad. Yeah, I remember this one time when him and, and my mum had just split up and they used to share a car and then he first got his own car and it was like so exciting and um, we got in his car and they'd left a CD and it was like, what's that song that's like, da, 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 da. do you know that one? That like soundtrack. What's it? I don't know what it's called, but it's like a cinematic, proper, like classic soundtrack. Um, he'd put he'd put that on and he'd be like, "Put your seat back, Livy. Like wind it all the way down and pretend you're on a roller coaster and like drive the car." And yeah, he was mental. And he used to, and just like parties and stuff. Like I think when you're a kid, you love those memories. And then like you know, looking back, like you look back at like parties and think, "Oh wow, the family were really doing some shit they shouldn't have been doing in front yeah. of the kids." But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you were going to make a soundtrack to that time in your life, what, like, few songs would be on it? Um, I love this band called Young Marble Giants. Young Marble Giants are, like, this 1977 um, cult band from Wales. Kurt Cobain said his favourite bands were the Vaselines and Young Marble Giants. So it's, like, very... um, The girl can't sing, really, that sings in the band. It's kind of, like not singing it's like singing speaking but she's so like it evokes so much emotion because you kind of are like is she singing or is she speaking you're not really sure so definitely then and a song called probably a song called salad days which is very applicable to nostalgia and teens literally the song consists of four lines i'm going to read the lines out to you it comes in and it's just a bass line and guitar it takes ages for her to get into the song And then um, when she gets into the song, she literally says, think of salad days, they were folly and fun, they were good, they were young. And that's it, she's done. That's the the rest of the song. So I feel like definitely that song, because that song just makes me cry, and she sings fucking three lines. So, I mean, that. And, like, I loved Blondie. Like, maybe something Debbie Harry. Yeah, oh my God, I used to love Blondie. Yeah. Yeah, Debbie Harry, definitely. So probably, like, Hanging on the Telephone, love that song. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be um, such a punk when I was like eight or nine. I have this like blondie t-shirt that I could wear as a crop top now. <laughs> so I used to be obsessed with that shit. I've always loved um, and I've always loved the Clash. I've always listened to the Clash. Mm. So I've got like a Clash love poster Clash. up here, and they're like my. Favorite. I have one as well in my dad's. I used to be obsessed with the Clash. I think well. they're the best. So yeah, so sick. Definitely the Clash. I feel like um, I really like a song called "The Card Cheat," which is on the London Calling record, and it's like it's got what your dad said about that cinematic, you know, this music. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. And so maybe that song as well. My favorite was, um, do you know Tommy Gunn? I just love the. I think so. Yeah, yeah, And you go re-listen to all that music. Me and my best like mate when I was a kid, Niall, and we started this band called Safety Pins. In, That's such a good name. We'd, it was because we had one song called Safety Pins Don't Always Clip On. Um, <laughs> and just, I don't know where it came from. But it, yeah, that was like my first music experience. And it was like all inspired by like the Sex Pistols, The Clash, like the undertones and stuff like that. That was probably some of the best lyrics I ever wrote was that song when I was seven. It was like, so tell me, I don't know what it means. So, so tell me, baby, do I give you pins and needles? I'm not talking shit. I'm just talking riddles. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, so final question is the big one. What would you tell your younger self? Um, to not overthink. I always say don't overthink. And if you if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah, that's and, a good one. And walk with purpose. Walk with purpose is one of my favourites. It's from, um, I think it was my best friend's dad. 
who told him that and he told me that and I was like, you're so right. I need to, what like, does that mean to you? Well, if you're going to go, if you're going to get fucking milk, you're going to get milk, you know? <laughs> like, you've got to walk with I love that. complete purpose. And you know you're walking with yeah. purpose when one of them preachers doesn't come up to you. That's how you know you're walking with purpose. Oh my God, I don't walk with purpose then. I always get stopped. I must just like the, look like the biggest pushover ever. That's definitely one word I would use to describe me in my adolescence. I was literally like the most like, mm, sorry, 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 kind of little. Yeah, I definitely had like the that. sorry, sorry, sorry thing going on as well. But I think <laughs> watching how my mom walked and how my mom like held herself. I, I was think. just about to say, you saying that, like it reminded me of what you were saying about your mum. Like I feel like your mum walks with purpose just from what you've said today. She walks with maybe a bit too much purpose. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. An absolutely unbelievable guest. I've loved listening to your story. Thank you Um, so much. And yeah, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Elle Devine and you've been listening to Growing Pains. And yeah, make sure you stay tuned for more episodes and I hope everyone's staying safe. I'm sending everyone lots of love. (laughs) 